Awesome, awesome. Man, I love Radiant Life. I've been here a couple times, a bunch of times, actually. I mean, it's one of my favorite places because uh, you guys, I don't know if you know this, your pastors are, like, super cool. So, uh, for real. Um, I have the unique opportunity to travel around the country and around the world, and I meet a lot of different pastors, and some of them are super weird. Um, but for real, like, for real, you guys have some of the greatest pastors in the nation with the grosses. Man, for real. They're amazing. So, thank you guys for your friendship and all of that. Yeah, yeah, give it up for them. That was a great opportunity for that. Um, man, uh, I'm super pumped to be here. So, I, I don't know about you, but... After every day growing up in high school, every day after school, I would always go uh, to go see, uh, you know, my love. Uh, her name is Deborah, and I would see her every day after school, every single day. And she was great. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was an unhealthy relationship, really. Her name was Deborah. You may know her, um, her more popular name, Little Debbie, and. Uh, I loved her. I loved her so much. Um, but eventually we broke up because I needed to be healthier in my life. Um, do I still see her from time to time? Yes. Um, but eventually I, I moved on and I, I was like, you know what? Every day from, from, uh, from school I'm going to come home and I'm going to make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The most dominant of all sandwiches. And so one day I'm in my house. I'm making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I've got the bread. I've got the peanut butter. And I have some grape jelly um, you know, on the counter. And all of a sudden, my stepmom, she walks into the kitchen, and she, with all of, like, the stepmom negativity she could possibly have, she comes into the room. And if you're laughing, it's because you have a stepmom. Um, it's from, I love her. She's great. Uh, she comes in, and, like, with all the disappointment within her soul, she's like, what are you doing with your life? And I was like, I'm making a sandwich. I don't know. What am I doing wrong? And she's like, why are you using the grape jelly? And I'm like, grape jelly's all I've ever known. It's all I've ever tried. I don't eat. Is there other options? And she's like, yeah, grape jelly is like the lowest quality. It's like the cheapest. It's usually not the best. She's like, but in the fridge, in the same fridge where you took the grape jelly out of, we have like strawberry jam. We got a bunch of other different options. She's like, you should try something better. You deserve better. And so I, I, I tried some strawberry jam, and it's my jam. Like, it's so good, uh, for real. It never went back. And so, but what's so funny is that in our family, kind of for a bunch of years then, it became kind of this funny, kind of tongue-in-cheek way of how we addressed poverty mentality moments uh, kind of going forward. Um, we ended up having this phrase of like, hey, that's grape jelly. So in our family, grape jelly became a family synonym for a poverty mentality of even though you could have more, you for some reason feel like you don't deserve more. And that was how I felt for a lot of my life in big decisions and even small decisions. Um, you know, even things like going to Chipotle, praise God for Chipotle. And so I go, you know, you get your meat, your, your rice, your, you know, all the things. And then you're asked that sacred question, do you want to add guac? Absolutely. I'm an American. Okay, I'm trying to, you know, live my best life. And so every time I would say yes. I remember in high school this would happen. And they'd say, hey, but it's extra. And all of a sudden, my needs and my desires went out the window, and I was like, absolutely not. I will never pay $2.70. I know it because I do it. Um, it's like, that's way too much. That's crazy. I, I don't need that. I don't deserve that. And in my family, we'd be like, that's grape jelly. Like, just get it. Like, for real. If you can't afford the guac on the Chipotle, 
maybe you shouldn't be eating Chipotle. Okay, just a little word of wisdom. Um, but I will find a way to eat Chipotle all the time. But growing up, uh, I mean, grape jelly became this kind of family synonym uh, for a poverty mentality. And what I've realized is regardless of income, grape jelly, poverty mentality can attach itself to you no matter how little or how much you have. Because grape jelly will keep you in a story of poverty regardless of how much you have. So, you know, eventually I wrote this book called Grape Jelly, uh, you know, talking about the sticky and sweet of the faith, money, and prosperity. And the truth is we're going to deal with these kind of ideas today. Um, we're going to kind of talk about this for a moment because there's really three areas you can live in in your life. And Jesus addresses them. And we'll talk about them as you can be living in poverty and grape jelly. You can be living in provision of just trying to make needs met. Or you can be in God's plan for you, which is a prosperity-driven life. And I know, I said prosperity. I said the P word in church before the business meeting today. I know, all of the things. But let me say, today's message is not a, you know, help, you know, help God, you know, help tie out and, you know, like, you know, sow a seed to meet Ty's greed. Okay, that ain't today. Okay, that was last service. It went really well. Okay, um, I'm totally playing. Uh, today is really understanding something of what is prosperity is this. Prosperity is understanding that God's money story for you is way better than the story you tell yourself. It's way better than the story you tell yourself. And I, I don't know how you grow up, but I grew up where it felt like my parents' income was never enough. That's how much money they made was never enough. Every paycheck, they treated it as if it literally said never enough in zero cents. Like it, it always felt like there was too much month at the end of our money every single month. Like there was never enough. And that was always the idea of kind of going from my childhood and kind of heading into my future. There was all of this baggage from my past but the truth is, I mean, I, I grew up in a double-wide trailer, which could literally go anywhere, but just because it can go somewhere doesn't mean it needs to come with me to my future, okay? And so, I mean, but I had all of these past issues, I mean, and my parents did their best, but I mean, the truth is, so many people, they live in their past poverty, and they never go into God's prosperity, and the truth is, you deserve better than what your past gave you. You deserve better than whatever your past gave you. And so, I mean, the three areas we can be in is in poverty, in which we, a lot of us start in these poverty mentalities. Uh, a lot of us try to get to the second one, which is kind of just a provision state of like, hey, uh, it's like us four and no more. As long as our family is good, then everybody should be good. Not about giving or whatever. As long as we have enough, we'll be more than enough. But the truth is God's plan is one of prosperity, of more than enough. And these three kind of people we can be of person and poverty or provision or prosperity is kind of exemplified in a story, in a, in a teaching moment that Jesus gives us in the parable of the talents. A talent was a unit of, um, of money measurement back in the day. And, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Matthew. We'll have it available on the screen as well. Matthew 25, 14 through 18. And this is a parable that Jesus shows us and teaches us where we're usually at. 
and what ends up, the story is about a master and his three servants. And the master is the representation of God the Father. And the servants represents the three types of believers that we could be. Of someone who's in poverty, or grape jelly, or provision, or in prosperity. And so I want to read this to you. These are red letters. This is Jesus' teaching. Jesus says this. For it be like a man or a master going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. Let's pause it. Because what I love is what this is talking really about is how that the master who's representing God is that he entrusts us with all that we have. Uh, Hebrews 2.10, it won't be on the screen, but the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that everything in the world belongs to the Lord. And so everything that we have is entrusted to us through God. So be like a master going away, calling in servants, and he's entrusting them with his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. And to another, he gave one. To each according to his or their ability to keep it. Then the master went away, and he, and, and he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also did the man with two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So one person is given five, one's given two, and one's given one. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, when I would read this story, this would frustrate me. Because I felt like this was so unfair. And when I, when I would read it, it felt like God was like choosing favorites. The master is choosing favorites. And, and I don't know about you, but at least for me, I would always put myself in the position of the guy with one and not the guy with five, which was just straight up grape jelly. That is a poverty mentality of making the assumption that God's going to give me the least. But what I want to address is that Jesus isn't teaching that God has favorites, but that God gives what Jesus says according to their ability to withhold it. So the reason why we have what we have is based on the ability we have to attain it and withstand it. You know, it's, fi it's funny seeing these moments, uh, not funny, really more depressing, is you see these mega lottery winners of multiple millions of dollars, and a majority of the time, almost every time, the winners of mega lotteries, they go bankrupt. It's not because they didn't have enough money, it's because they didn't have the ability to know, to know what to do with all of the resource. And, and I, I think this is wild because um, Luke 16.10, the Bible says this, if you're faithful with a little, then you will be entrusted with much and much more. And I, I think we're in one of these three areas. We're either the person with one in poverty, with two in provision, or in five with prosperity. And I believe this, is that God wants you to be in prosperity. You know, the word of God is a prosperous message. God wants you to prosper. It's the truth of it all. And, and then eventually, so the, the five goes to ten, the two goes to four, and the one, out of fear of losing it all, he buries the money. He buries it out of fear and out of, and out of anxiety. The master returns and the master goes to the guy who had five and now has ten. He says, you are my good and faithful servant with whom I'm well pleased. He says the same thing to the guy who had two, now has four. They've all done the right thing, how they entr were entrusted with the master's money. 
But the master goes to the guy who had one and still has one, and he says, you of, like you foolish servant, you could have at least deposited it into the bank to get interest or something, but yet you hid it in the ground. And so what the master does, the Bible says this, he takes from the guy with one and gives to the guy with ten. So now the one who started with five has eleven. And growing up, I hated this story. Because I had this grape jelly, this victim mentality, this poverty mentality that would always assume I'm going to be the one with one and everything is going to get taken from me and given to other people. Which is why, because the Bible says, Jesus says, Matthew 25, 29, to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Kind of the modern words I used to hear growing up was this, is that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And honestly, how you feel about that statement is probably a good indicator of where you are on this journey of someone who's living in a poverty mentality, kind of in grape jelly, in, in, in just a provision standpoint or in prosperity. You know, growing up, I would hear that phrase all the time, that the poor get poorer and the rich get richer. And it was kind of this like victim mentality statement of instead of me being accountable for my actions, I can just blame it on everybody else of why I have what I have. But the Bible says that you have what you have based on your ability to have it. And that if you're faithful with the little, God can trust you with so much more. And, and I don't know about you, but I've had moments where if I have the two, I'm always looking at the person with the five. Or if I'm the one, I'm looking at the two, and there's always this jealousy of it. But the truth is, if you only focus on what others have, you will never have what they have. If you always focus on what others have, you'll never focus on what they, you'll never have what they have because you're too busy focusing on what they're doing instead of what you could change in your life to have what they have. So we're not just going to end there. We're going to address today, how do I go from the person who feels like they're starting off with the one to how do I be the believer who God entrusts with the five? How can I be entrusted with the most? How can I go to this? And God entrusts us with the most when we put him first. And there's this word that I think really starts to unlock this for us, for us as believers. There's this word called a tithe. And I believe, personally, this is one of, if not the greatest spiritual discipline of any believer. Because of so many reasons. And a tithe, it biblically means your first 10% of your gross income. A tithe is literally a tenth of. And so it's if I get $100, I would then return the first 10% of it to my local church. Here would be Radiant Life Church. My church is in Atlanta, which is where I tithe. But what I love about this is that we can all do this. 10% is how it is. And I love it because a tenth is fair because it's all the same across the board. And so what you need to understand, though, for my friends who give randomly, anything less than 10% is not a tithe. It's just a tip. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the person tipping God, trying to make him like feel good or validated for what he's doing in my life. I want to fully obey God, give him honor and worship, and return to God what already belongs to God. 
And, and I know there might be some of you and you're like, I came to church and I knew it. I knew from the very beginning they were just after my money. Uh, they aren't, <laughs> I promise you. You know what they're after is really your heart. You know, tithing was never created as the church's get-rich-quick plan for the church. Never was that the plan. The first time tithing is ever mentioned is in the book of Genesis chapter 16, where Abraham has this massive victory. He defeats an army that he should have lost to, but because of what God did through him and to him, he ends up having this massive victory and wins an abundance of resources. And his way to worship God, it says that he wanted to worship God. So 10%, the first 10% of the winnings of the victory, he said he gave back to God as a worship stance to God. So tithing started as worship and continually should be worship. It started as worship. It continued into the law. And then where it is now is it is something that we should do. So much so, Jesus says it. Jesus says we should. So Matthew 23, 23, if you have your Bibles, go there. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. It's like the, the modern day um, de, you know, debunking or whatever people. Like they're always trying to um, deconstruct you know, what Jesus was saying. And here's the thing. Jesus is all about building up the church, not tearing it down. And the Pharisees were all about tearing things down. And Jesus speaks to those who were tearing things down. And Jesus says to these religious leaders, Matthew 23, 23, he says, For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Jesus says this, you should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect other important things. And, and I think what's wild is that Jesus says, you should tithe. This is a New Testament idea. The tithing is not just an Old Testament privilege. It is a, it is a New Testament opportunity for us to step into. And I absolutely love tithing because it has radically changed my life. I have been tithing since I was six years old, and I have never once in my life had lack, and I believe it is radically because of tithing. And, and you might wonder, well, why is it that when we, when we hear Jesus talk about money, which is all of the time, Jesus talks about money more than most other things, yet we rarely hear Jesus talk about tithing. And the truth is, why we don't hear Jesus talk about tithing a lot in the New Testament is because at this time and at this culture, tithing was culturally normal. Everyone was already doing it. Everyone was already tithing. So Jesus wasn't trying to convince them to start tithing. He was trying to convince them to go above and beyond the minimum expectation. He was trying to take them to a higher place. And what I love is this. Tithing wasn't created for the church. Tithing started as worship. And what tithing is, is it's a benefit for you and me as believers. So Malachi uh, chapter 3, it's a couple verses. Uh, it says this kind of identifies the benefits of tithing. And it says this, bring the full 
tithe into the storehouse, which is now the modern-day local church. So your storehouse will be Radiant Life Church, which is a healthy, good, effective church. It is a good place to give towards. My storehouse is my church in Atlanta, Georgia, of, called Victory Church. So bring the full tithe, the full 10% return uh, of what belongs to God into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the Test, says the Lord. Somebody say test. Test. Awesome. Yeah, this is a test. God says to test him. It's one of the only times in the entire Bible where God says, like, test me. See, see if I won't. Like, say I won't bless you. Because what he says is, put me to the test. See if I, God, will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. That sounds like prosperity to me. I, God, will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to produce. Man, says the Lord, and then all the nations will call you blessed and you will be a land of delight. I, I love tithing because tithing is beneficial for you. And it is a test. Tithing is a test. Man, tithing is this test where God is testing you to see if you will test him. God wants you to test him because he wants to bless you. He is like begging you to put him to the test by returning your first 10% of your gross income or increase to the local church because he wants to do things to you. He wants to protect you, he wants to promote you, and he wants to prosper you. That's what the Bible literally talks about. It says it'll protect you. It says that God will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Man, the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy all that you have of all of your increase. But when you tithe, God rebukes the devourer on your behalf. Man, whether you see it or not, he rebukes the devourer. He also promotes you. It says the nations will call you blessed. Man, I, I believe this for believers. People should be blown away at the lack of lack in believers. Man, believers should be the people who we see are the best with their money and have, honestly, the most of it. Man, the truth is, man, God wants you to have more. And the truth is, is God wants to bless you. Man, and, and what I love about this is, you know, my wife and I, you know, this idea of like you'll be promoted when people see you tithing. So a couple years ago in 2020, my wife and I, we paid off $40,000 of student debt that God made me do. Not really. Uh, I don't know about you, but it was uh, January 7th of 2020, and I remember shaking my fist at God, saying, God, how dare you sign those papers to put me in student debt? Somehow he did it. I don't know how, but he was responsible. Somehow, for a good period of my life, God was responsible for all of my bad transactions all of them. You know, it's like, man, God, like, I don't understand. Man, like, I, I, you know, it's like, I bet against the lions last week, and somehow it all, like, didn't pan out. God, why are you hurting me? No, no, no. Like, God ain't the one hurting you. He's only a blesser, not a herder. Man, God wants to promote you. And yet, so my wife and I, we paid off $40,000 of student debt, because God spoke to us in a very clear way. He specifically spoke to us, not because we're pastors or preachers, but because we're normal, believing people. 
and he spoke to us really clearly, and he said, hey, but you guys, as a family, you make more than $40,000 a year. And in this moment, we had this word of knowledge from Holy Spirit, where God gave us knowledge of what to do. And really quickly, and we made less than $100,000 that year. In that year, we paid off, just over a year, we paid off $40,000 because we lived off of one income. We did all of the side hustles. We sold stuff in our house, and we rented out a room in our house to a crazy person. She was nuts. Side note, side note, um, do more interviews when you have someone living in your house. Also, if you're looking to have your in-laws not stay at your house, have someone rent out a room in your house. Then your in-laws will never want to come over. It was the greatest thing I ever did. If they're watching, I love you. Please don't come over. Okay. Um, no, I'm just kidding. They don't watch this stuff. Um, so here's the thing. Um, so, uh, but here's the thing. It worked out. Oh, and uh, we ended up having a family member live with us, so our expenses went higher. Uh, oh, and at the same time, we did all of this to kill debt. We never stopped tithing, and we gave more than we had ever given in our entire marriage. We actually increased our giving while we were killing our debt. And so many people would say, look, I'm going to pull back on my giving to pay off my past purchases. No, 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 no. I actually, because of our increased giving, I believe that's how and why we were so easily able to pay off so much of our past stuff. And you might say, well, that would change so much in my life. It would be so uncomfortable to try to do that. The truth is discomfort will pay for your comfort. Discomfort will pay for your comfort. Man, and, and you, some of us need to do that. You know, tithe, and, and we, we changed our budgets, and budgets are amazing. But tithing will do things that budgets can never do. Tithing will do things that budgets can't do. I want wisdom in budgets and faith in Jesus in my tithing. We should be so wise that we don't have to use up all of our faith on what wisdom should pay for. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've swung that pendulum so far of like, God, I'm just believing in you. I know I'm, I keep swiping this credit card I need to stop doing, but I'm just believing you're going to come through. Or you stop being stupid and so that God doesn't have to cover up our stupidity in our purchases so he can actually take us into a prosperous blessing. Amen. And the truth is, when you tithe, it doesn't give you permission to do whatever you want with your other 90% of your income. What it does is it protects that 90% so it can do more with the 90 than you could do by yourself with the 100. And I've never seen that wrong ever. Tithing is returning to God the first 10% of your gross income. Giving and generosity is everything and above that 10%. And so when God speaks to us in our family, we give right away, as soon as possible, without thinking about it, because the more I think about it, the less likely I am to give my money away. So here's a, a quick story about this. This happened a little while ago. So about three or four months ago, um, I, I went to this guy in my church. Uh, I wasn't really super friends with him, but I knew of him, and I knew one main thing about him, that he was dating a girl who was substantially out of his league, and I needed to help my brother out. Okay, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, just man to man. We're not even friends. But like, man to man, when are you going to put a ring on this girl? Because she's, she's going to figure this out, that you're not as attractive as her. Like, for real. And, like, my wife is the same way. Thank God I, I figured that out quick. And so my friend, uh, you know, he's like, hey, man, like, I'm, I'm tithing and I'm giving. It's just taking me a while to, uh, to afford the ring. So it's just going to be a couple more months. And then we're going to figure that out. And then, would you know, God spoke to me in the most frustrating way possible. Because for some reason, God never wants me to give in my comfort zone. 
huh, I don't know what's up with that. Um, every time God wants me to give, it's almost uncomfortable. And the truth is, my discomfort pays for others' comfort and my future comfort. And so in this moment, uh, Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he can speak to any of us specifically because he specifically speaks about specific numbers because he has a specific goal for your finances. And so he specifically spoke to me and said, Ty, I want you to give towards his wedding fund. And my response to him was, that's not my job. But then I still did it, okay? Uh, that's for real. That's how I felt in my heart, but I got over it. And I, and I felt God say, hey, I want you to give $500 to his, uh, his wedding ring fund which was $500. Um, it was a bunch of money. Uh, I gave it to him via cash app or whatever, um, and then I gave it to him. And here's what you need to understand. This story is going to make me sound awesome because um, here's the thing. I don't give to get. I get to give. My goal is not to get things from giving. Man, my goal is just to give as much as possible because it blesses others and it blesses me. True story. They just got married. Like in the last month, I wasn't invited to the wedding. That's real. I wasn't. And, you know, at first I was like, what gives? Um, but then I remembered that when you sow, you reap good things. The good thing of not having to be invited to another wedding. Thank God. Oh, praise Jesus. Oh, my Lord. I'm so many of them. Uh, but, man, the truth is, is giving blesses others and it also blesses you. We gave to him on a Sunday and the next day on Monday we opened up our mailbox. This really happened. We had a check uh, to us for $500, which is exactly what we gave him. And that happens all of the time. It makes giving like an addiction for us. We love to give. And for a long time, I was really good at it because for a good time in our marriage, my wife was what we would call a sugar mama. And it was awesome. That was the best season of my entire life. Sugar mama season is the best kind of season, okay? Uh, and I've heard some guys are like, oh, I wouldn't want my wife to make more money than me. You are stupid, okay? Um, it's awesome. And I got so good at spending my wife's money. Like, I got so good at it. Now, God's blessed us because we tithe and because we give that now we're in a place where my wife was able to quit her job like seven, eight months ago. So now she's a full-time mom, praise God. So she went from a sugar mama to just a straight-up mama. Um, and it's, it's awesome. Um, and I've realized she's now gotten really good at spending our money really quickly. Um, if she figured that out very quick. Um, and here's what you need to understand about it, though, is when my wife made more money than me, it was still our money together. I make all of the money now, and it's our money together. We do not have separate finances. You know why? Because separate money separates. Separate money separates people. And, and let me be real with you. If you have separate bank accounts, all you're doing is you're communicating to your spouse, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And we do this funny thing where we say, no, 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 it's different, Ty. Like, I gave her my heart on my wedding day. I just need a little bit of my own money just in case or just for whatever. What's really wild is what the Bible says. The Bible talks about this, is that where your treasure is, your heart's also going to be. And so, so oftentimes I, I meet people and they say they gave their spouse their heart, but they hide their treasure. And when you hide your treasure, you don't give your heart. Because you're not giving all of you, you're giving all but some of you. And when you do that, you give none of you. So if you're here and you have separate, separate finances, I'm imploring you to put your money together. Why? 
because it's just way more fun. It's way more team, and then we do everything together. Because even if I make more, it's still ours together. And I, I, I remember a, a bunch of years ago, and I want to illustrate this point of why the difference of tithing and, and generosity. Uh, tithing is your first 10% going to the church. Generosity is everything above that. But for a long time, I've been tithing for my entire life. My, it's been amazing. But then I remember one day, uh, this is a bunch of years ago, three years ago or so, we got our giving statement back from, uh, from our local church. And it said we had given most we had ever given. Uh, this is like three or so years ago. And it said we had given to our church $10,000. 99% of that was tithing. Like 99.9. Like almost none of it was actually above tithing. But I remember I printed out the giving statement. I was going to frame it on our wall, which is like the weirdest thing ever. Don't do that. And I remember going with the giving statement to my wife. And I said, Rebecca, look at this. We gave over $10,000 to our church. We are so generous. And in that one second, right after I said generous, Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Ty, you're not generous. You're just obedient. You're not a giver. You're only a returner. And in that moment, I realized that tithing is amazing and beneficial. It protects, it promotes, it prospers me. But God was calling me to do more than the minimum of tithing. He was elevating us in our home to start giving in radical generosity. So from that moment on, uh, I threw away the giving statement because I felt bad. Uh, number two, uh, after I gave it to my tax person because whatever. Uh, but then after that, uh, we gave, we in our home, this is what we do. We give to every single financial project in our church because I want to be a fully committed disciple of Jesus and a fully committed member of our church. So whether I think it makes sense or not where the money is going, I'm going to entrust my spiritual covering to believe that they're hearing from God on behalf of me. So we give to every single project and it has radically changed our, our life. And when you give... Man, it, it, it just it comes back to you. Sowing and reaping is a real thing. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, it says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Generosity is not just you randomly paying for the coffee behind you. That's, an, that's a random act of kindness. Generosity should be planned out in advance so that you can do bigger moments of generosity. Like it's January, so we, we do our meetings in January as a family to plan where our money is going to go in generosity. And it radically changed things. If I get my friend in the keys, uh, make your way up. That'd be super awesome. And, and generosity will change things and tithing will change things. Tithing and generosity have impacted our life, I think, more than any other thing, like it, by, by far. And you might be here and you're like, well, I, I want to tithe. I want my money protected and promoted. I want to prosper. But you might say this, because I've heard people say this, I, I can't afford to tithe. I'd like to get to a place where I can tithe, but right now my budget just doesn't work with tithing. I can't afford to tithe. And, and the truth is, you might have to rearrange your budget in order to come into the provision of Jesus. I mean, I might have to change some things in my life. I mean, the truth is, my wife and I, we spend less so that we can give and tithe more. That's how we do. I mean, we spend less so we can tithe and we can give more. Tithing is the first thing on every budget. And, and for those of you who say, I want to start tithing, but I can't afford to do it, let me say this. You will never be able to tithe 
until you start tithing. You will never afford to tithe until you start tithing. And that might not make any financial sense, but it does make kingdom heaven economic sense because God will do things with your money that you could never do by yourself. I mean, we've, we've had so many things that we've seen that God's brought to us because of our giving, our generosity, and all of this. Man, my wife and I, we've, we've seen so much through our tithing and our generosity. And so I want to encourage you, number one, to tithe, but two, to give more than you've ever given. You know, I, I'm totally cool with you having wealth. I want it for you. I would like it for me. Like you got the Tesla, drive the Tesla. I would like a Tesla. It'll be awesome one day. You got the Tesla, that's cool. Drive the Tesla. But if you drive a Tesla, you better give like a Tesla. Because too many drive Teslas, but give like Toyotas. Man, they drive the Mercedes, but they give like a Toyota. And it makes no sense to me. And for my friends who have more, man, you should give at the level in which you live. Because we want to treat others how we want to be treated. And the truth is, none of this belongs to me anyways. It all belongs to the Lord, and I am a steward of what he's entrusting me with. So I want to give it away as best and as quickly as I can while being wise. And here's the thing. If you have more, but you don't give more, expect to have less. Every time our giving decreases, it's really crazy how different our life looks compared to when we're giving and giving and giving. We see so much abundance in our life. Man, we've had, man, we've had moments where we're able to get a down payment on our house because of abundance. We have friends who've been given multi-million dollar houses and cars, not because they do anything special, but because they're the most generous people we know, and it always comes around. And so here's, here's what I know. Jesus wants you to prosper. Too many times uh, in, in Christian circles, we've been, we've been getting into this grape jelly idea, this poverty mentality, that all I need is all I need. But God wants you to have some of your wants. God wants what you want more than you even want it. Here's how I know this. The first miracle ever recorded that Jesus did was turning water into wine. Another way to say it is this. The first miracle Jesus ever did was turn something we needed into something we wanted. Jesus wants to get you what you want, even if you don't always need it. And we, he does that when we tithe and when we give. And so here's, here's my challenge for you. I want to challenge you to work the word of God. Tithing is a test. God is testing you to see if you will test him. So test God for 90 days, for three months. Tithe for three months and see if God won't bless you. See if he won't take care of you. And then don't just tithe, but give on top of it. And God's going to bless, restore, and recover what you could never do on yourself. I'm going to pray over you. And then my pastor Chris come up, but you need to understand a couple things. Number one, in a moment, we're gonna do the normal tithes and offerings, which is when I want you to start this challenge. It's not because there's some big need going on. It's something like that. It's because, man, the truth is, I don't teach on tithing to get anything from you. When we tithe today, 
Like, none of it, it's not, it's not going directly from you into my rental car. I don't get nothing from your tithing today, okay? It's not a tithe to tithes greed or anything like that. Man, the reason why I preach this isn't to get something from you. I'm preaching this so that God can get something to you. And if you'll tithe for 90 days, you will see God radically change your life. And so I want to I pray over all of you and your finances and your blessings. So if you all bow our heads and close your eyes, if you're here and you'd say you'd want God to bless your money, you want God to prosper you, to protect you, to promote you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to know who I'm praying for because I want to prophetically speak over your finances, over your provision, those of you looking for jobs, man, going to get promotions. I believe the best for you. So I want to pray for those who will step up and say, I want to receive all that God has for me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, so I know who I'm praying with. If that's you, could you just raise your hand? I would love to pray for you. Jesus, I pray for my friends whose hands are raised, and I pray that you would break the poverty mentality of those whose hands are not raised. God, I pray that you would give them an increase. I pray you would encourage us to tithe, and God, I pray that you would bless my friends. You can put your hands down. God, I pray that that you would bless my friends. I pray that they would have no lack. I pray that they would prosper beyond anything they've ever seen in their past. Any family member, God, I pray that even if they make less, that they would see more because they will get in alignment with what your word says to bring the first 10% to you and give above that because God loves a cheerful giver. So God, help me to give in abundance more than I know to. God, I pray you would bless my friends at Radiant Life Church. May this be the most blessed church in the entire state of Ohio. In the name of Jesus.